0: Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com, drive what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Carter Baum, and coming up on this week's episode, we get into the opening three games of the five-game Canadian road swing, the improvement of Kirby Dock, not only offensively but physically, the debut of Nick Sealer, the Sedine jersey retirement in Vancouver, And what it's like to be a player heading into the trade deadline. We get Adam Burrish's thoughts on that and much more coming up on this week's episode of Blackhawks Insider, presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. It's all about the drive.
1: Hey, Blackhawks fans, your local Chevy dealers have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you. Take your best shot to win the 2020 Chicago Blackhawks Custom Blazer. It's a one-of-a-kind performance machine with its custom Blackhawks leather interior and Chicago skyline Grill. You can't win if you don't enter, so go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and register right now. You must be 18 years or older to enter. Someone's got to win, so it might as well be you. Go for it. Drive what Kane and Tate's driving. Welcome
0: into Blackhawks Insider. Carter Baum joined by Chris Cook and via phone, be, via the technology that we, the great technology that we have, the great Adam Burrish, who uh, was taking a little PTO time this week and uh, got stranded through with some travel delays. But Burr, we're glad you can join us by phone and uh, still partake in this week's podcast. We've got a lot to discuss, gentlemen
1: we got a lot to discuss on this big road trip. I wouldn't miss this, Carter. You know that. Well, I know you wouldn't.
0: A big road trip, uh, you're in a little nicer of a place, Burr, I think, than uh, Western Canada in February. But There's uh, no nicer place
2: in Western Canada in February, Carter.
0: And two stops in Winnipeg, as we discussed last week. Uh, just really great digs for the Blackhawks. But we talked a lot, gentlemen, last week about how crucial this road trip was, not only in where this team ends up at the end of the season, but where they end up 10 days from now when the trade deadline comes around and uh, this kind of being a defining moment for this team uh, whether they become buyers whether they're you know not looking so great and potentially sellers or whether they maybe stand pat and just kind of see how this thing shakes out this season three losses to start the road trip but they're very they're three very different games Uh, I'll walk through kind of the three of them just as a quick recap here and then we can kind of get into maybe what happened you start out On Sunday in Winnipeg, you get out to a strong start, maybe one of the best first periods the team has played all year. You lead 2-0 after the first, and then you let off the gas. Uh, The power play continues to be a a point of concern. The Jets score a shorthanded goal that really sparks a comeback. You end up losing that one 5-2 with two empty net goals late, uh, kind of making it a little more of a lopsided scoreline than perhaps it looked, but a loss nonetheless. You head into Edmonton on Tuesday night the complete opposite. You have a poor start in Edmonton. uh, 2-2 after the first 20 minutes, but the first couple Oilers goals were ones that you kind of want to have back. You lose 5-3 at the end of that, but you finish strong, especially in the third period. The team was fighting to make it a game late, another empty netter there, uh, and that one to kind of seal things late. And then you go to Vancouver last night on Wednesday night. You play perhaps one of the best 60-minute performances all season long you put up 49 shots on goal a uh, high for the season you only allow 20 against a low for the season in that category but you run into a brick wall in Jacob Markstrom you can't get anything past him and you lose 3-0 to a Vancouver Canucks team that is playing really well right now really seeming to find their stride uh, and so at the at the tail end of it you now have a five-game losing streak with a couple overtime losses before the road trip, three straight regulation losses. Things aren't looking good, but once again, it's not a matter of this is the problem. It's something different kind of every night. It's, you know, you fix one area, another area becomes a concern. They, you know, you fix the start, the finish becomes a concern. You fix the finish, the start becomes a concern. You get them both together, you run into a brick wall And Jacob Markstrom, just Nothing is seeming to bounce right right now for the Blackhawks.
2: Well, the thing is, at this point of the season, you know, I thought they played terrific hockey game uh, last night against the Canucks, right? But there are no moral victories at this point. You need to no. get the points, and I don't think there's any question that the the three games to start the road trip have been very disappointing. Um, you know, this is a time where you just can't give up points, and I know Markstrom was terrific last night, but you have to find a way to to score a goal or two. You just have to. Uh, you know, the power play is not going. We've been talking about that ad nauseum every every week. We come in here and say. Here comes a power play. We're going to fix the power play, and nothing's happening. So something's got to break here because, you know, we talk about must-wins. We talk about how this trip was so important, and it's gotten off to an 0-3 start. Got two more games remaining, and if you don't win those games, you know, I'm not sure there's any way coming back from that. Right, Burr?
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree, and if you start in Winnipeg, uh, over the last year, it's been a good matchup for the Blackhawks for whatever reason. They're a team that a lot of people think are a Stanley Cup contender That every year the last three years. Um, They played a decent game. Um, I I do think Winnipeg is a team, if they can sure up their defense, they still could be a team that could go deep in the playoffs, so uh, there's your measuring stick right there. Um, The Edmonton game, if you look, and it kind of goes hand-in-hand with Saturday when they play Calgary, Edmonton and Calgary have been playing playoff-style hockey games for the last month here. That rivalry is crazy between them, so... You talk about a poor start by the Blackhawks. If you're in that dressing room, you need to have that self-talk that, hey, these guys are going to come out flying. They've been playing this nasty, mean, in-your-face hockey for the past month, and they came out a little slow. In the Vancouver game, you go to that one, you put up a million shots. Patrick Kane was the third star of that game. How many times have you seen a team get beat 3-0, and the guy, one of the guys on the team that gets shut out is a third star. He's got eight shots on net. But I'm with you, Chris. At this point, there's no moral victories, and you've got a team that's that's young defensively, but you got to find ways to finish games to start on time. Um, this last couple games of this trip, going into Calgary Saturday, it's going to be a hard game. I mean, this is a fast team that's probably should be doing better than they are, another underachieving team, but you're going to have to start fast and find a way to salvage a couple wins here at the end of this trip, or it's going to be a disappointing road trip.
0: I want to read this quote from Jeremy Colleton last night that he told the media afterwards After the three-nothing loss in Vancouver, he said, "Ultimately, the only way we're going to get wins is by playing to a similar level, uh, referencing that they did last night in Vancouver." It said it kind of resembles the lost opportunity the last couple games when we aren't able, when we weren't at that level. Now all of a sudden we play well, and you don't get the win, and you're on a little bit of a slide. What he's saying is, you know, yeah, this is a game that, yeah, maybe we lost, we feel good about it. But the bigger opportunity loss was the last two games. Whereas if you play at a similar level, you can get two wins there. You then if you go into Vancouver and you have a similar, you know, circumstance, you lose that game. Okay, you lose, you know, one game, but just the way everything's kind of aligning, you're on a slide now. And things have to be turned around. I think uh Robin Leonard said it after Tuesday night's game. We had a really good run to get back in this. We're still in the thick of it. We just have to snap out of it. You know, you, you can't continue this uh, for lack of a better term, nosedive. You can't keep dropping these points because every point is crucial. And, Bert, as you said, these last two games on this road trip uh, are really going to set the tone for the rest of the season and what this team looks like uh, two weeks from now.
1: Well, yeah, Carter, you mentioned it right at the top, though. I mean, I think the the common theme, why they're not able to kind of get over that hump right now, It to me, it is still the power play. And you can't make the playoffs. You can't win in the playoffs if your power play uh, isn't, you know, over well over twenty percent. I don't think. I think that's kind of the number. And the penalty kill's been okay. It's been fine. It's been it's been good for most of the year. But that power play, you go, you know, zero for five in Vancouver and zero for three, I think, at, what it was in Edmonton. Uh, you can't win hockey games. It's hard to score five on five goals in, in in the NHL today. And power play has to contribute and it's got to help you. you. You lose a game three zero in Vancouver if your power play you know, is 20%, it's a different, it's a different game. It's a different outcome, I think, in that game. And that's what's been struggling right now. And, and, you know, you look at the Vancouver game, all but three guys had shots on net that night. Um, So you were generating offense, but your power play, for whatever reason, it's just been really stale the last month. And that's why you're in games and you're out of games and you win a few, you lose a few. If your power play is consistent, Chris, I think, uh, I think you're still in the hunt and you're maybe right in that wild card right now.
2: I agree with you. You know, that's one of the areas they've got to address, certainly. And, you know, Jeremy Carlton has been moving some guys in, move Zach Smith onto the, pot, the top unit. And, of course, now he looks like he's injured, might be out for a little bit. Uh, I believe, believe he suffered a, a cut on his hand. But, Adam, you mentioned that uh, Edmonton and Calgary are playing playoff hockey. Jonathan Taves said after last night's game, every game's a playoff game. Well, this team is not playing like every game's a playoff game. You know how that it almost goes back to the style where they started the season, where it's it's more defensive minded, um, and you know they didn't fare too well there. So you wonder if this team's really built for that kind of uh, for that kind of style of play, where you're, it's more clutching and grabbing, things are slowed down, you can't come through the neutral zone with speed. Certainly, they've got aspects where you can play well when you've got the goaltenders is playing as well as they have, when you've got Patrick Kane being as dynamic as he has. But they need to find a way to start winning some of these hockey games two to one, three to two, as opposed to skating up and down the ice and hoping to win seven to five.
1: Yeah. And you know what else what, what, playoff hockey? I mean, think back to the, the Blackhawks teams that won those three cups. Part of the other thing with playoff hockey is scoring big goals at big times mm-hmm. or your power play scoring a big goal at a big time when the game's a little stale. All of a sudden you get a power play. You don't have a lot going on. Your power play comes in and saves you and gets you back into a hockey game. Um, scoring goals late to get yourself back, or to tie a game late to get it to overtime, to get that to to win it in overtime or in regular season, get that extra point. That's that's playoff hockey too. Is is showing up in big moments at big times and the power play. That's that's a thing that can save you. And in playoffs, in playoff hockey, that's the thing that keeps you in games. They're tight games. It's usually you, you hear it in all sports, but special teams. And in playoff hockey, that's that's the difference. A lot of nights of special teams. And right now, the Blackhawks power play is really what's letting them down. A
2: lot of gloom and doom, I think, when we're talking about the the last three games in this road trip. But the one thing that makes me optimistic, at least a little bit, is the fact that this group, you know, when they're down, they get down a goal or two on the road. They they keep fighting, they keep coming back. So their backs are against the wall. This is it, though. I mean, right? They can't go any any further back. So I think that. We're going to see the true character of this team, whether it's going to really bounce back and play that playoff-style hockey, play at that level. But to me, all season long, when this team's been counted out, it's bounced back a little bit. So that's encouraging there. I think that starts with leadership. I think you're seeing Jonathan Taze play very well right now. You're seeing um, Duncan Keith play very well and, and Patrick Kane. And certainly some of the other guys are coming on. Doc, I think, is playing maybe his best hockey this season. But you've got to get guys like Dabrinkit going. You've got to get, um, you know, Camp going a little bit. Kubelik has had some chances. I thought you know, he could have three or four goals last night the way he played. But you've got to finish those, and you've got to get some big goals, as you mentioned. So, you know, let's see what happens in these next two games. And then, you know, Carter, you talked about it last week. This really well could determine what this franchise is going to look like. Post trade deadline, right? We can, we can,
1: well, yeah. Go ahead. yeah and, and listen, you're dead on, Chris. I mean, you think back to last year, this team was down and out. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they go on this massive run the last two months of the year and they get themselves back in it. Uh, the other side of it is things are so tight in the West and in, in, in the NHL, but in, in this division and in the West especially that. Yeah, they've lost three in a row, but they can still see a way in. It's not There's still a lot of hockey to be played, and you go on a run, you win three or four in a row. I mean, two, a month ago, look at the run the Blackhawks went on. All of a sudden, they're two or three points. Some uh, At some point, maybe a point out of the wild card spot. So they, they, this can get turned around, and, and I'm with you, Chris. Every time people say, all right, it's over, this, these guys snap into it, and they say, screw this. We're, we're, we're getting back into this race, and they have last year. They did it this year. Now they slipped a bit. I know these guys, and you know this group that that they're gonna they're gonna keep this thing alive. And when you tell them no, that's when they get a little ticked off.
2: Yeah, hey Adam. I know if you were able to see the game last night, as far as the local broadcast. But after the game, first off, there was a, a delay, a little bit getting into the room. Sure, uh, I saw some yep. r- some reporters, and then in the in the post game dressing room, there was a lot of optimism there. Wasn't they? they weren't you know throwing things and kicking some cans? Do you think that was by design where they said? Okay, let's rally together here. Let's not sit on this and sit in Vancouver for a night and and wonder what's going to happen here. But let's kind of take the positive from this. You think there was a concerted effort there to take the the, the sunnier path?
1: Yeah, that's the, that's part of the leadership you talked about. I'm sure Tave said something like that, and I'm sure Jeremy came in and pretty much what what you get. What Jeremy says after a game and all coaches kind of when they go to the press and they they, they speak to you, that's kind of what their message to the team is too. So you can you can pick up uh, what Jeremy said after the game. Um, and that's probably what was related to the team. And then just knowing the guys and as a player, you know, when you play well and you don't, and you know, when you have a stinker and you just not, you don't play up to your level. That game in Vancouver was a game where they, they played a good hockey game. That that could have gone a different way. The Blackhawks have done that to a lot of teams too, with, with Crawford and Robin and net where all of a sudden those guys put a 40 save performance together and the Blackhawks, uh, beat a team after being outshot forty to twenty-five. They, they've been on the other side of that too. So I'm sure that was the talk in the locker room. That's leadership and coaching saying, "Hey, we we got to we got to forget about this one and we got to move on. We got two games left in this road trip."
0: Cook, you mentioned uh, Kirby Doc a minute ago. I want to touch on something that really stood out to me last night, and I don't want to get too far ahead and not not worry about the present. But I look at a guy like Kirby Doc, and we've talked about his development this season, and I think. Uh, I think we've all seen it. I think the whole world's kind of seen, especially in the last few weeks, Kirby Dock is a different player. He's, I think Pat mentioned on the broadcast going into the night last night, he was plus seven or something in his last five games or plus five in his last seven games. I think I mixed those up. But in the first period, there's a moment where Antoine Roussel, who's a noted agitator, noted guy who just loves to get under your skin. He just got a suspension or a fine from the NHL the other day for something he did last week he gets kind of in Kirby's face tries to rough him up a little bit uh really trying to take advantage I guess of the 19 year old the the rookie on the other team and you know Doc kind of was going to the bench kind of made a change wasn't really a thing but you could tell maybe he's trying to get under his skin really trying to make a point there then you turn into the second period Antoine Roussel goes behind the net picking up a puck, and here comes Kirby Dock barreling down the ice, lays a clean, hard hit on him on the boards, and takes Antoine Roussel out of the game for a couple of shifts. The guy it looked like he got his breath knocked out of him, but here's Kirby Dock, our, our 19-year-old Kirby Dock, coming down, delivering a big hit, using his big frame, taking out a guy, kind of stepping up to a, a veteran in this league who's known for being that that aggressor, and just giving it right back to him. I mean, you don't see that a ton, and it really makes me excited for however long this current season goes. You get a full season of Kirby Doc in the gym with Paul Goodman putting on another 15 pounds on that frame, and you've got a power forward with some hands, with some skill. You've got a guy coming into next season who's going to be – a force to be reckoned with, absolutely, because we're already seeing it here at the tail end of this season and just his development already.
2: I wrote about it in our, in our three takeaways. It's on blackhawks.com right now. And I talked to Kirby the other day about it, how when he first came into the league, he realized how big and strong these guys were. And he, he, saw, he was losing puck battles, and he wasn't delivering hits, and he wasn't bouncing back after big hits. But he, you see, his confidence now. He's using his size. He's a big kid, right? Mm-hmm. He's a big, tall kid. And he said it's very difficult to put on weight. breaker could probably attest to this during the season, right? Because you've got, you know, you're always playing, you're always traveling, you're probably eating some bad food at bad times, and you know, you're not with Paul Goodman all the time, uh, getting in there. But he he said he's using his size now, and he's very confident in delivering those hits, and you can see that at both ends of the ice. So he's able to he's able to play well defensively. He's got that long stick, and he's, and he's really being able to bounce back off of hits. And that hitting he developed. He, uh, he directed on Roussel, was just one of those ones you can just go, oh boy, okay, look what's going to happen next year when he kind of gets the nuances of the game. And you can see the talent there. I think he's still trying to make too many fancy plays offensively, and fancy is <laughs> kind of a weak word, but you know he's always trying to make that extra move there. And I think he'll learn that more direct is probably the better way to go, because he probably got away with that you know, in juniors. But Right now, you're seeing a guy developing into a top NHL player. I really believe that. He may not put up 40 goals, but to be able to play that well at both ends of the ice, to be that big, to be able to skate the way he can at that size, is really something impressive. So you're right. If if there is any, if you need a silver lining at some point, point, hopefully we don't need that silver lining, watch the development of Kirby Doc. Watch Adam Boquist develop. you got some guys there who are really developing into top-line players, and and right now they're contributing in a big way. They're not just you know learning on the fly and you just, oh, we'll just deal with that. These guys are contributing. They're proving that they can play in the league. And it's just been a pleasure to watch Kirby play. And, and I hope he finds the back of net a little bit more. But I talked to him and he said, you know, I, I've, I did this my whole career, right? I know I can do this. And now I realize really how big and strong everybody is and I can match up with those guys.
1: Yeah, you nailed it, Chris. And I'll start with the overhandling the puck at times. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you get from a young, skilled player that – All of a sudden, you're in the NHL, and your instincts take over, and he was in junior. He was dangling guys coast to coast, putting it between guys' legs, leaving the goalie in the corner and dropping it in the empty net, and all of a sudden, I mean, think back to the Boston game when he comes outside in and and comes up the gut, and he kind of overhandles it right in front of the net, makes too many moves, and you see that a lot, but I think it's like, holy crap, I just beat this guy with this move, and then you're in, you want to make another move, what he's used to, but... That'll go, that'll go away. He'll understand that and where he is on the ice because his skill is incredible, and, and he keeps getting better and better every night. And then you talked about confidence, and he said that in an interview. I know he said it to you, Chris, and then he said it two weeks ago after a game when he said, the game's getting easier for me. And to have a 19-year-old have that confidence and to hear a kid say, the game's getting easier for me. Now imagine a year from now, Um, how he's going to feel. But for me, the the real change in him started once Jeremy put him on the power play. And then after that, then he puts him with Patrick Kane. And you're a young kid trying to find your way, and your coach gives you that confidence that, hey, I'm going to put you on the power play. Now, hey, I'm going to put you with Patrick Kane. Imagine how that makes you feel as a young kid. You are playing well. You're playing better and better. And then your coach says, hey, I'm going to also give you a carrot here and you're going to play on our top line with Patrick Kane. Uh, his confidence since then in the last month has just gone through the roof. He handles the puck more. He's catching it in speed through the neutral zone and, and burying by guys. And he's having some beautiful moves, some inside out, some toe drags, some backhand toe drags. Uh, he just keeps getting better. But when you hear a young kid say, the game's getting easier for me, man, that's pretty exciting.
0: Burr, as someone who spent a lot of time in kind of that, that more physical role, kind of that energy role on the bottom six, When you're going against a team that has, you know, a shiny new rookie toy kind of in the lineup, I mean, I'm sure there's definitely a a side that you can kind of maybe take advantage of that and really, you know, go after, not go after, but kind of take advantage of a guy who's not maybe physically developed for this league. Do you recall anyone, you know, kind of starting to fight back like that, like we kind of saw last night and kind of dish it right back and, and not really take it anymore?
1: Um, well, I mean, you could look at the Blackhawks. We saw Alex DeBrincat do it. You know, we saw him f- fight a bigger guy. We saw him go after a couple guys. You know, I know there's there, there's been a lot made a lot of talk about Kirby Doc taking a lot of hits this year and, and, and taking some big blows and um, you know, what's that going to do? Listen, this is hockey. This isn't baseball where you have a pitch count or, you know, the NBA, you, you see guys now playing three and a half minutes a quarter cause they're, they've been injured or they're you know, in the NHL. You play and you go and think back to Jonathan Taves. He took big hits early on in his career. And, and I can tell you as a player, You get a top five pick or a top 10 pick that all this hype around and you get a chance to play against and you're darn right. You're going to take some licks at the young kid and go after him and test him and push him and kind of see what he's got. Um, And Kirby keeps standing in there, and he keeps going after guys, and I love that. And and Jonathan Taves took those same hits. Well, 14 years in, his body looks pretty darn good to me right now, and he's got three cups in his pocket. So I think it's not like football, or it's not like pitch count in baseball where you got to manage hits. Of course you don't want Kirby you know, getting smashed every night and getting injured. But part of his game is he's a big power forward. He gets in there, he dishes it out, he takes it, and he'll figure out as he gets a little older here when he can get himself out of the way from some hits and where the dangerous areas are. You know, Sharp and Jamal and I did a game the other night and we were watching we're like, he gets himself in situations where in junior hockey, being the man, guys might not take a run at him. Where there's are certain areas where like, oh, get yourself ready, kid. Like, you knew you were going to get hit there, didn't you? And, and he'll learn that and, and he'll get better at that. And I'm okay with the way he's playing. And I love that he, Zdeno uh, Chara, he went back at Zdeno Chara in the Boston game, too. And I think that as a teammate of his, man, I'd love to play with a guy like him as as one of our top players.
2: I would go back even even further than to Brinkett. And, you know, you mentioned Taze, but I remember, I my memory was a little bit better when. People were taking runs at Patrick Kane, and there was a game I want to say against the Wild, where um, he swung his stick and took a took a shot at somebody because he had been roughed up a little bit. And I don't don't know if you remember that, but it was the first time I thought, "Whoa, look at him fighting back there!" And I think he gained a level of respect there, and he realized that, you know, you can have guys stick up for you all the time. That's great, you know, but at some point you need to do something. And he took a bad penalty, and I'm sure what led to a bad power play. But he stuck his stick right in somebody's face, and he let let the guy know, "Hey." You can't mess with me like this. And I think that was a big step there and I think maybe that hit on Roussel last night might be the might be Curry Dock's moment.
1: It sends a message and guys around the league see that and guys in Vancouver saw that and you yeah. You know, you've seen Jonathan Taves do it. You're, you're same, Patrick Kane. You've seen him. You know, you want to come at me. You're going to have to go through my stick first. I can't fight you. I, maybe I, I can't hit you as hard as you can hit me. But you know, come come after me again, and you're going to have to go through my stick, or one of these guys is going to come get you. But um, you, you gain a lot of respect for guys on other teams, and certainly a guy on your team when you see one of your star players go after a bigger guy or a tougher guy or stand up for himself. And and Kirby's done that all year. And just being around the guys and seeing them, I'm sure you can see it, Chris. The guys really have a lot of respect for Kirby. And part of it is also because of his maturity level too. As a a top pick, he doesn't come in here and, you know, have his nose up in the air. He works. He's quiet. He's respectful. Um, And and keep in mind, he's learning from some pretty good veterans also.
0: Speaking of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, one of the – I think it's a cool moment to always be a part of a, a commemoration of someone's career. The Vancouver Canucks retiring the Sedin's numbers last night uh, before the game against the Blackhawks. I don't know if you guys got to see uh, portions of the full ceremony, but uh, there was a uh, Kevin Bieksa stand-up routine at the beginning. That was that was excellent. That Very was funny. pretty fun to listen to. Oh, uh, yeah. Just kind of, he was. I think he was roasting the Twins on the ice in front of the entire audience, and everyone could hear but them. Uh, I don't think they could hear because they were right next to him on the ice and just the acoustics in the building. But uh, he, was, uh, he, was, he was giving it to him for a little bit. They got up and spoke for quite some time, and they acknowledged that uh, it, was, it was pretty special to have their numbers retired before a game against the Blackhawks, looking back to some of those playoff battles. And uh, I don't think that's any mistake on the Canucks part that that ceremony was placed on a game. Uh, when the when the Blackhawks were in town, but I want to get your thoughts. And I'm, I didn't tell either one of you about this beforehand, but I do want to get your input. Was looking at jersey retirements and a well-deserved honor for the Sedines, two of the best Canucks to ever play we've witnessed over the last 10 years. Some some of the best Blackhawks to ever play. Uh, one of the best decades. Uh, in any NHL team's history, much less the, the franchise's history. Looking at jersey retirements, who is next for the Blackhawks, in, in your opinion? And it's a little bit of a loaded question because you have some guys who are obviously going to have their numbers hanging in the rafters one day that are still playing, and you have to wait for them to be done playing. But uh, we'll start with you, Burr, I guess. Uh, who is next in terms of Blackhawks jersey retirements?
1: Man, that's you really got us on the spot here. We didn't get that, that, that rundown. Did we no, Chris? that was the plan. I didn't
2: even see a rundown. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I, missed, um, I missed a meeting. I think, Burr.
1: Yeah, geez. Um, I, if you want to go I first,
2: don't... if you want to, I'll give you a little time there, because, um, and to me, I think Steve Larmer is uh, is deserving of having his his uh, jersey hung up in the rafters the United Center. I know that um, you know a lot of fans feel the same way, but um, you know you can't put everybody up there. But to me, Larmer is a guy, and you know. I've, certainly the certainly they um, they deserve that. And, and class guys on and off the ice. And I know Blackhawks fans don't want to hear that a lot. But um, they were great players, and they really played the game well in the right way. But to me, I think if you're looking for the next guy up, I'm going to say it's probably going to be Marion Hossa. Number 81 is going to go up to the rafters.
1: Yeah, that's that. I would have said Marion Hossa would have been my guy that's going up there next. Steve Limer for just for my opinion, that he's a Hall of Famer, should be a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, I, I hope they get that right and get him in sometime because I think he he was certainly deserving, and, and he may be a guy whose number could go up too, but I, I would go right now with Marion Hosa, um, but just to touch on the Sedins, incredible, incredible players, two of the most intimidating guys, not in a physical way, but from a a playing way to play against those guys was uh, especially killing penalties against them was It was intimidating because you know if you give them three chances, they're going to score on one, maybe two, and they're going to make you look silly at some point. They're going to throw a backhand pass, no looker between your legs, and and your coach is going to scream at you because you should have had one of the guys. We went over this in video 20 times. We know what they're going to do, and they still do it every time. So those guys, we had nasty rivalries with them, but there was so much. There really was a lot of respect there because those two guys, they're two of the best to ever play. Um, and you want to know another guy, Marian Hosa, one of the best he ever played, so I wouldn't be surprised to see 81 hanging up there soon.
2: You know, just looking at the, talking about the Sedines, I have a great memory from certainly those playoff series, and and if anybody, you know, Blackhawks fans, Last couple of years, just joining in on the fun, won't remember that the Canucks are basically the Blackhawks' biggest rival after after a couple of playoff series there. And people hated the Sedin's, right? And they loved when Dave Boland was getting in their face. And um, I, was, I was Duncan traveling. Keith still gets booed yeah, this every day. time he touches the puck. Yeah, but you know, I was um, I was traveling then, and I remember I was in the airport. Uh, One day early morning after a game and I don't know if it was maybe his last game of the All-Star break or something or before the All-Star break, but I was in the Vancouver airport and I was sitting there, you know, half asleep and this kid runs by me and he looks like a mini Sedine. And I guess, and I guess said to myself, that kid can't be anybody else's but a Sedine. And I look up and there were Daniel and Henrik and their families and they were sitting by the luggage carousel waiting for their luggage. And um, they could not have been any nicer to the fans who were coming up to them. It was after a long, you know, long game. and I can't remember if they won or lost or beat the Blackhawks or not. But just to watch them interact with the fans there and so gracious and, and to watch them with their kids, playing with their kids in the, in the airport like anybody else would, was really kind of fun for me to see that kind of off the ice. And to me, I, I just know that those guys, every time I needed to talk to one of them, they came out and they talked. They, they met the media, whether win or lose. And I really just represented what the Canucks were all about. Uh, didn't win a cup. I think that would have been that would have really solidified where they are. But um, to me, two of the best players in NHL history. They said they got about as close as you can get a Game 7 of a yep. Stanley Cup final without
0: winning the Cup. That was uh, something they mentioned as the highlight of their career. But all in all, a, a, an incredible ceremony put on by the Canucks last night. Very interesting they did it before warm-ups because you're not retiring one number, you're retiring two. It took an entire entire hour to do it. You can't uh, you can't delay the game an hour. So uh, a cool moment for all of them. Also, it was uh, very nice to see Mark Crawford, who was their first NHL head coach, uh, was, the, was on the Blackhawks bench and kind of watching the whole ceremony. They acknowledged him at one point during their speech as well. So uh, uh, a really cool night for the Blackhawks organization to be a part of. They wore uh, 22 and 33 stickers on the back of their helmets the Blackhawks did, just kind of as appreciation you know you mentioned the rivalry but you have to appreciate two special talents like that Uh, so a cool night last night and uh uh, i did want to jump back just a little bit Uh, team's been on the road for five days now i believe and we'll be gone for another four days or something like that but we haven't had a chance to really catch up with any of the the guys but uh, our own Eric Lear had a chance to catch up with someone we talked about a little bit last week Nick Seeler who was able to make his Blackhawks debut on Sunday in Winnipeg uh, Adam Boquist held out of the game kind of working his way back from that right shoulder injury uh, so Eric Lear caught up with uh, newest Blackhawks defenseman Nick Seeler uh, just the other day
3: Nick, we saw your Blackhawks debut just a, a few days ago in Winnipeg. Uh, dropped the gloves, got an assist. Overall, how did you feel uh, with the first time with the Blackhawks sweater on?
4: Yeah, it was pretty special having that. Uh, you know, that first time having having the Hawks uh, jersey on, and um, obviously not the outcome we wanted. But um, you know, I felt uh, felt really good to get out there and, and playing again. So um, really grateful for the opportunity to to be here, and um, really fun to to have that first game under under my belt.
3: And that game didn't come too long after the trade. I mean, what's the biggest challenge as you you come from one locker room to the other and you start to kind of new team, new system, new coaches. What's the biggest challenge as you make that change?
4: I think, uh, you know, change is hard for anyone. And, um, you know, getting getting acclimated as quick as I can is, um, you know, is – in the next couple of weeks weeks here getting to know the guys and, and um, you know the coaches and, and systems and um, but you know what the guys have been great and they have a great locker room great leadership in, in the locker room and um, they've been they've helped me uh, quite a bit with getting acclimated and, and feeling comfortable so I'm um, really appreciative of that and um, you know just looking forward to the to you know this this year here and um, you know this opportunity
3: mentioned that opportunity that's kind of what you're searching for what are you what are you hoping comes from this uh this opportunity with the new team
4: uh yeah you know what obviously you want to be in the lineup every night and and uh contribute to the team any way you can and um that's what i'm looking to do here so i'm just uh, gonna continue to work hard and um hopefully that time comes and um just uh work towards that when you get in this locker room and you see Jonathan Taves and
3: Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, I know Brent Seabrook's injured, but still uh, an active voice around the locker room back in Chicago. What is it like for a, for a player to come in and, and see these guys who are such great leaders and have accomplished so much uh, already in their careers?
4: Oh, I mean, you look up to those guys. Um, you know, knowing that what they've been through and and you know winning cups together, and um, they know what it takes to, to get to the to the finals and um, and win. And uh, I think you know. I, as I talked to you before, I mean the leadership here is is unbelievable and, and you can tell right when I came in here it was um, a great feeling in the locker room and I'm just gonna be you know, try to be a sponge and, and, and learn as much as I can from those guys and um, so I'm looking really looking forward to that and you know they're they're great Cooper guys. So um looking forward to getting to know them a little bit more here.
3: Being a Minnesota guy, growing up there playing for the Gophers and then the Wild had to be pretty special to come up and play for those teams, but obviously playing for a team like the Blackhawks in the history here the original 6, what does it mean to, to just be able to have this opportunity?
4: Oh, it's uh, like I said, I extremely extremely grateful for for the opportunity to to play for such a you know really historic uh, Organization and like you said, original six, and um, that's pretty cool. It's a it's a sports town for sure, not just hockey, and um, you know that's uh, the community surrounding it. You can tell is, you know, they really love their hockey, and that's uh, that's pretty cool to be a part of. How
3: about from the city wise, what what excites you about uh, living in Chicago, uh, making the move?
4: Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, I think I'm most excited just to you know i heard the food's unbelievable here there's so many good restaurants and ready ready to explore that and get to find a new uh, couple of go-to spots and um you know i think that's probably that's probably it so it, it should be fun thank you eric and
0: uh thank you nick sealer congratulations to nick sealer on making his uh debut we got just a little bit of a glimpse of him on sunday night uh, he's been a healthy scratch again in the last two games but uh i think in that game in Winnipeg we, we saw a little bit of what Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton kind of saw on him and just how ready he is to kind of step in and uh, kind of jump right into action with this team
2: I certainly think that you know when you talk about playing playoff hockey you need some grit you know and some sandpaper, is, is as he would call it uh, I talked to Nick Sealer and he, he talked about his role about how he knows what he needs to do and that's protect teammates he needs to play hard doesn't mean you're dropping the gloves every time you want to but if you're going to play a playoff style of hockey, you need to be—you um, know—you need to go in the corners, you need to come out with the puck, you need to protect some teammates, and that's the kind of guy that can provide a lot of depth along the blue line. Uh, a, a nice move there. You know, he, he didn't fall out of favor in, in Minnesota. They liked him a lot. They just didn't have room for him there. Uh, I talked to him. I wrote a feature story on him. It's on Blackhawks.com. Very interesting guy. Uh, very introspective. Knows his role. Knows where he is. Very happy to be moving on, even from his hometown team, because he just wants an opportunity to show that he can play. And that's all guys want, right? You want to play in your hometown. It's great. They loved him there. But he'd rather come to a team like Chicago and have a chance to prove himself. He's got another year on his contract. He wants to solidify himself in a lineup. Uh, I, I do think it's a great depth addition because, you know, he may not play every every game, but at some point somebody's going to be banged up or at some point they're going to need somebody to come in there and provide some sandpaper and some grit and play hard, and Nick Sealer's that type of guy.
1: Yeah, it, it was a great move. And, and uh, from a player's perspective, anytime you're a guy um, – that you were kinda of, you were in the minors of it, up and down in the minors, then you, you come to Minnesota and you're a full time NHL guy, but you're not playing very often. You're playing, you know, seven out of thirty games and you're being scratched. Um, but obviously you still have NHL caliber, the team would have sent you down or they would have not kept you around, but they keep him around because he is an NHL guy. Now the best thing for guys like that is a new start. Just about all the time is you give a guy a new start uh, as a team, you, you take a chance on a the guy. There's not a whole lot of risk here, so let's see if this guy, um, a new start, a new environment, a new challenge, um, and kind of you got to bet on yourself now, and you got to you got to lay it out here now, and see if and make yourself valuable to a team. I think it's a great move. I think it's a great start. I think it's great for Sealer. I think this will be a. Something that can wake him up, and as a grinder, kind of tough player, you know. All right, I got to bring it every night. I got to be physical. I got to be solid. I got to make smart plays. I can't turn pucks over. I can't be a minus player on the ice. And you really refocus. So I I, I watched his first practice back back here in Chicago at the the new practice facility, and he was a he was I think he was the second to last guy off the ice. He was working with Mark Crawford on shots from the point um he was having guys deflect pucks in front he was um yeah he was I was kind of watching I was like geez this is almost like a bag skate he's doing for himself I was like get off the ice kid get some rest but he kept going over reps and reps and reps shooting pucks so another uh, another older you know younger older guy that that gets it he understands how to work and I thought that was pretty impressive and I think he's a guy that you know stands that depth we need a depth well he's a great depth defenseman
0: well we are headed into the last two games of this five game road trip uh, we'll see if Nick Sealer gets back into action at any point over the next two games or going into the next few weeks. Uh, we, we talked a little bit earlier in the show about just how important this is. You play Saturday in Calgary, Sunday in Winnipeg, two teams right above you in kind of the wild card race. Uh, both teams have a game in hand, or the Blackhawks have a game in hand over both teams. Uh, so a, a very important four-point swing on both nights. It's going to be important that they play kind of that full 60 minutes we saw in Vancouver uh, because there's, like like we said, there's no wiggle room right now. You're six points out of a wild card seed. Uh, you have a game in hand over Vegas as well who's in the mix who you don't see the rest of the year. You have two games in hand over Arizona who you also don't see the rest of the year. Uh, and then on the flip side of it, Cook, you mentioned it last week, you have to kind of watch out for some of those teams below you coming up. Well, Minnesota and Nashville are now – ahead of the Blackhawks in the standings, have fewer games played than the Blackhawks. So those are teams you have to look out for. They see Minnesota on March 19th, Nashville twice, uh, including next Friday at the United Center, another important game. And so you head into some of these head-to-head games against teams that you're fighting for. You have to get these points, uh, and it starts this weekend with yet another back-to-back, and you have to have kind of that bounce-back against two teams that one of which we already mentioned in Calgary that's playing a, a very important playoff-style hockey right now.
2: I know like you guys, I look at the standings and the scores every night, and it can be frustrating because you're seeing the teams play against each other. You see an overtime game and go, oh boy, that's not good for the Blackhawks. The, the thing is is the Blackhawks have to win. They, they need to win their games, take care of their business, worry about the standings later on because you still have a full month of play to go. March, you're home a lot, so maybe you take advantage there. But you've got to get some points here. You've got to get two points against the Flames you got to get two points against the Jets or three out of four, something like that. But I think the the importance is coming off that well-played game last night against Vancouver, you've got to maintain that. Okay, are you the team that is going to play well, or are you the team that's going to take a step back? So they've, they've got a pretty good taste in their mouth even though they lost that game because, as Burr said, they know when they play a good hockey game, and they did that the other night. So if they can come on and keep that momentum going, beat the Flames, try to get – they play very well in the second of back-to-backs, beat the Jets, come on home with some positive feelings, there's still this chance that they can get back in this race because – you know they're they're yeah they're down right now but they're not out.
1: You got to get three out of four points here in the next two games, and, and if you follow trends or you watch trends, the uh, a big positive for this team, Blackhawks team, is back to backs. They've been awesome all year long at one point I think they were nine and one in back-to-back games so uh, there's a trend for you that uh, you can have a little confidence as a team knowing you, you perform pretty pretty darn well on back-to-back nights also but Calgary's going to be a tough matchup it, it's it, that'll be a fun fun game to watch because they play an angry style with a lot of skill too and so this will be a it'll be a good matchup for the Blackhawks
0: a couple of really uh, fun games to watch against Calgary on uh, New Year's Eve and then a week later when they visited the United Center so uh Echoing your uh, your sentiment there, Burish, on a fun game, an important game on Saturday night. Uh, it's kind of all on the line right now for the Blackhawks. Ten days away from the trade deadline. Uh, I think some questions are starting to be asked about you know kind of the mood in the locker room as the deadline approaches and what goes through a player's head. And so far, I think everyone on the roster has kind of been like, oh, we're not really thinking about that. Uh, that's, that's in ownership's hands. It's in management's hands. You know, we just have to kind of keep playing, keep getting points. Burr, I wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, that's kind of the important, uh, maybe PR speak, or yeah, we're not really worried about it. But you've been in those situations, you've been in those locker rooms as the deadline approaches, as guys know that their number might be called, they might be kind of on the chopping block as things really get uh, nitty gritty here over the next week and a half. What goes through a player's mind? in the days leading up to a trade deadline or uh, just the, the chaos that the next 10 days are really going to bring.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you, know, you start, you, you talk about management, it starts there and I've played for different GMs. I've played for some that come in and, and threatens not the right word, but they come in and they say, Hey, I just, how you guys play here is going to dictate what we do at the deadline. Do you want to be here? Do you not want to be here? Um, your play is going to dictate what we do. Um, and then, you know, you've got a guy like Stan who he's not coming in the locker room and saying that to guys, but You just know. As a player, you just know. And um, it's an interesting time to watch now uh, because as a player, uh, a bit selfishly, you want to play really, really well going into the deadline um, because, A, you kind of don't want to get traded. But also, if you do get traded, uh, you want this team to like you and you want this team to want you. And you've seen – we've all seen trades happen where it's usually bottom six guys get traded – to a team, and that team kind of buries you on the fourth line or sends you the minors or or just gets rid of you. They made a trade because uh, they wanted to unload some salary to another team, so you get traded there in return. You hadn't been playing real well. Uh, and the team buries you so at the trade deadline everybody has to play well because you're kind of playing for something and you're maybe playing for the team you're going to or you're playing for the team you're on you want to stay here so everybody's game gets elevated a little bit everybody's practices are a little sharper because you know now there's a lot more eyes on you and sometimes you can see up in the rafters up in in the press box because players look up there and you can see well it's a lot more full tonight you can tell a lot more scouts are out there's a lot more scouts at games now these last few weeks figuring out what teams want to do so um, you see guys play pick up a little bit and their practice pick up a little bit um, because they know things are going to be going on. You also know that if your team's struggling, um, the chances are you know more likely that there's going to be a few more guys move possibly. So you want to play well for your team, but uh, selfishly and individually, um, you, you're trying to show off every night.
2: This is Stan Bowman's way of, of telling this team what he believes in, him, right? If he brings in a player to, at the deadline, he's, he's, he's telling the team, I believe you guys can do this, you can make this run, you've got, the, you can, you've got the character, we've got the personnel now, go ahead and make that run. If he goes out and he ships some guys out there, then maybe he tells some people, okay, it's time for a change, we're going to gonna rip this thing up a little bit. It, so really, we talked about this just earlier, that this is almost a defining moment of this season, but perhaps next season as well, what the makeup of this roster is going to be looking like. And uh, I can't stress enough how these next two or three games are really going to dictate that.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, it'll be an interesting time to watch. It'll be fun what goes on here the next couple of weeks because you're right, Chris. There's a lot of different directions that, that, that they can go. and But every trade deadline, there's also there's always a little message that the GM's sending to players, and, and you pick up on it. There's nothing said. But you just kind of pick up on it by by what moves they make, and maybe it's even personnel. All right, we need to get a little tougher. We need to get a little faster. Uh, we need to get a little better down the middle, so we got to center them in. But there's messages that are sent that – Players watch pretty closely, too.
0: The NHL trade deadline coming up on February 24th, uh, just about 10 days from when we're recording this episode on Thursday afternoon. Uh, like like you said, Cook, a very interesting next couple games for the Blackhawks leading into that will really kind of dictate what happens around there, what we see from the team going forward. Before we wrap things up, I did want to uh, take an opportunity to send our well wishes uh, to St. Louis and to the Jay, Jay Bowmeister and his family. Uh, a real scary incident the other night in Anaheim as the Blues were playing. Uh, cardiac incident on the bench. Uh, by all accounts, things are going well for him, and uh, lots of tests are being run to see kind of what happened there, but uh, a scary incident for the entire hockey world. Uh, the other night to see uh, a player go down on the bench and I know uh, it's happened on rare occasions before but it's never something I think that you're ever really prepared to see and uh, uh, really really good to see that he's at least doing well and and the right doctors are looking at him and things are going to uh, by all appearances be okay at least in his life Uh, forget about hockey Uh, that's what matters first and foremost and a
2: shout out to the personnel who really reacted quickly and um, you know, I think that Pat Foley mentioned it last night on the broadcast. The Blackhawks actually have two uh, team doctors that travel uh, one at a time uh, with the Blackhawks on the road. Not a lot of teams do that, but that just shows the importance of having the right people in the right place at the right time because you've avoided you've evo- a couple of tragedies here and shout out to the people who responded very quickly to, the, to his teammates, to the medical personnel. Uh, Burr, I, I'm sure you played against Boom Easter. You might know him a little bit, but in my in my limited interactions with him, very nice guy, uh, very respectful guy, and, and just really happy that uh, things are going well for him.
1: Yep, first first class player. He's played for you know 20 years. It feels like he's been around forever. Unbelievable player, but class act guy. He's a really really well respected guy amongst the players. A um, uh, guy that you know you, you, you ask somebody about him. What a guy! Awesome guy! Great guy! So really well respected. So. Certainly glad to hear things are things are okay for him right now, and hopefully they keep getting better.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, I do want to touch on uh, something really cool that's happening next week as we record the episode. We are going to be taken out of our little studio here in the United Center. We're taking the show on the road, as they say. Field trip. Field trip. We're going to venture our way up to Wicker Park, the brand new Yeti store in Wicker Park. We're going to be doing a live taping of Blackhawks Insider at the Yeti store uh, on Thursday, February 20th. Come out between 5 and 7. You can see us record the show. We're going to have Patrick Sharp once again join us. You can get uh, some autographs from Patrick Sharp and Adam Burrish. Chris Cook and I will also just kind of be there hanging out, but you can come see them. You can in, come in, see in, the in. Stanley Cup champions. We'll, yeah, we'll hold your bags while you get your <laughs> autographs made, uh, smile, and we'll hold the phone as you take your picture maybe with those two as well. But uh, an exciting thing. We'll have prizes, autographs, uh, Adam Burrish, Patrick Sharp, the Yeti store in Wicker Park next Thursday, February 20th. Full details at blackhawks.com slash Yeti. But uh, it should be a fun night uh, for, for everyone to be involved, and we hope uh, we can see a lot of fans out there. Like I said, that'll do it for this week's episode. For Adam Burrish and Chris Cook, I'm Carter Baum. We'll see you next time on Blackhawks Insider, presented by Chevy Drive Chicago. Drive what Kane and Taves drive.